Well, welcome back, Spy Nerds, uh, to the Spies Like Us podcast. Uh, we're concluding our discussion of season one of Le Bureau. It's a 10-episode series, so we'll go in uh, most of our detail on episode 10, but of course we're going to catch up with uh, the things that have happened since our last podcast episode, which we got up to episode six on that one. Uh, hey, Dave, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm excited to close this off. I, I have been loving the bureau. So you've gotten to the end. So you you see how it uh, how it played out. Yes. For now, right? Yeah, I had I had, I had big questions on that. Usually these TV episodes we're shooting for like I don't know, could be thirty minutes, could be an hour. Uh, we we went ahead with a whopping two hours. No apologies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> really liked our episode. And guess who else did? Uh, what, uh, our fan that actually introduced the show to us, uh, Joe Duffus. Thank you. Hello, Thank Joe. You. Yeah. yeah, thanks Thank for you. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Yeah. <laughs> it's great to be here with you guys. I'm excited to talk about the show. I felt funny about, I mean, I felt funny about having that big two-hour monster out there, except that I felt confident that it was you know, good work. And, and the fact that you reached out to us and said that you were like really happy we were back doing the bureau, that was like all the validation I needed. So thank you for that. Oh, absolutely. I, as, as soon as I saw that you guys had circled around to, uh, to talk about the show again, I, I jumped to listen to it and I ate it up. I was doing other things while I was listening to it, but uh-huh. you know, walking around and putting dishes in the dishwasher while nodding my head and yeah. smiling, and <laughs> it was a good listen. Oh, nice! Uh, one thing you did point out, though, uh, which we both uh, kind of fell on our sword, was our pronunciation. Uh, <laughs> we definitely cannot speak French, so uh, we, we were hoping you could help us out with some of that, so we can um, know how to pronounce these names. Yeah, let's. Let's let's help help us fix fix this up for us. All right, well, I you know I full disclosure here. I am a non francophone myself. I I can speak enough French to you know to impress somebody who doesn't speak French. Put it that way. <laughs> um, but when you when you watch the show and and you hear the characters speak, there's uh, there's no way that you won't pick up on the way that they talk. And, you know, and, and how they address each other and, mm. and the, the way those names are pronounced. So yeah. <laughs> um, the main character is, is Guillaume Debailly is his real name. Now, when you say it, when you say it, the light goes off in my head and I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, Debailly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, 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 should, that should have been a softball. Right. Yeah. <laughs> There's, I don't think there's any any other of the names that are that are too hard, except when you look at the spelling of his legend name, uh-huh. which is you know like a lot of French words, it has a lot more letters than it really needs to have, and and a lot more <laughs> letters than they pronounce. Yeah, so absolutely. even though it's even though it's even though it's spelled you know L E F E B R and a V and an E and stuff like that in there. It's just pronounced. If you listen to the characters, it's just pronounced Paul Lefebvre. Or Lefebvre. Yeah. What about what about the name of the show? That that legendes thing throws me. I have no way. I have no idea where to go with that. I'm going to go into my. I'm going to go into my uh, narrator voice here and say, "Le bureau de légende." 
Okay. All right. Yeah. I love it. That's it. All right. And then um, this one's going to be tough for me because all through Wiki, it's all it's always Jean, Jean Marie, but you say it's Marie Jean? Marie Jean. Marie Jean. Marie Jean. Um, I might, I might not be able to keep those straight. Those, those will be interchangeable. Trust me. I'm talking about the same person, uh, <laughs> either, either way. Um, so yeah, uh, obviously we all like really love the show. Thank you so much for bringing this to our attention too. Um, I'm again, it's like just a testament to the glut of quality TV out there. Like I, we did our first episode of Libero back in March of last year. Yeah, with I heard full that intentions too. of coming back to it. But if you listen back, if you did listen back to that episode, you'll hear there we were talking and still about like we still hadn't figured out how we were going to do TV. Now we feel like we know how we're going to do it. Uh, one season it, in three parts. It's hard, yeah, because uh, you know that so many of the of the plot lines in this show, you know, they, they set everything up in, in the first two or so episodes mm-hmm. and then they kind of spin it out and complicate it in the next three or four. And then they start kind of sprinting to the finish, you know? So, yeah. so if you're, so if you're trying to talk about, um, if you're trying to talk about the season in thirds, it's, it, it's probably the best course. Cause then you, you know, can talk about sort of the new characters that are being introduced um, in the first one. And then, you know, how the plot is thickening in the middle ones and then how they resolve things in the end. And I know you guys are going to geek out on the spy craft stuff too. So I'm absolutely looking forward to hearing <laughs> you talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, uh, as you, you know, have noticed just as well as anybody that's, you know, paying attention to the show, there are three distinct stories going on. Possibly there's maybe this other one, which is the American operation in the Middle East, which is kind of maybe a, another half a story or something. But I guess I prefer just thinking of that as folding that under the the cyclone operation. Yeah, it, it, it was still a little bit unclear to me, even after watching the show multiple times. Um, why the French were involved with that whole, I think it was called Felice was the name Felice, of the op. Yeah. 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 Okay. But we will, why we he will. was involved with that in the first place, what, right. what that was supposed to do. And it had something to do, I think with luring a terrorist named Chagall mm-hmm. or code name Chagall yeah. to go to that clinic. And then I guess they were going to kill him. Um, but that never happened. So they sort right. of found a use for the clinic that they had set up um, in the cyclone story. Right. And you, and they only, they only tell you that, or it's only confirmed to you that that's what they're going to do at the, at the end of the ninth episode, when the mole from left Kier or the mole Uh for left Kier types in the GPS coordinates of where they're supposed to take cyclone and you see the Google map and it, and it zooms in and you realize mm-hmm. they're looking at the roof, you know, right. it has the yes. yellow tarp on it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. So I want to, I want to, I want to, Dave, go ahead. Yeah. I think this, uh, I, 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 I agree. The, 
whole Felice kind of operation was a little murky as far as storytelling. I'm not sure what they were doing, but I think it was the Cyclone capture that got them worried it was going to um, expose the Felice operation. So I think right. that's why they kind of went full circle with the doctor office to try and uh catch cyclone or something that's an excellent that's an excellent point that makes total sense (laughs) but uh, yeah i'm totally on board with both you guys the the whole felice off was kind of confusing i'm not really sure what it was other than trying to catch a terrorist but uh yeah like like joe you said like why was france even involved uh is kind of confusing (laughs) yeah I want to cycle back to that though. Uh, uh, when we do the cyclone story, uh, and and give it a little more setup. So let's come back to to this point um, that we're talking about. And uh, if um, oh, I just wanted to mention too, like at the end of this, you know, one thing I think at least I was wondering, like, are these three stories ever going to intersect? Uh, and I think they actually don't. Uh, even at the end of episode 10, as we're going into season two, um, they still haven't intersected in a meaningful way, which is an interesting choice for a show. Yeah, that's, that's very true. You know, the, the, the Malatru Nadia storyline, you know, goes off into the CIA connection. Um, and the Marina story is, is an Island unto itself. You know, Maltru's involved in that story, but it but it doesn't touch anything having to do with the uh, with the cyclone story or the Nadia story. Yeah, any of the three stories could have been told without having the other stories involved. Although there are characters who participate in multiple stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I want to I want to knock out Lusso first because not because I think she's. I don't want to say I think she's the least interesting story. Well, I do. It's the least. <laughs> it's the least interesting story. Oh, but she's so cute. Yeah. But well, yeah. <laughs> she's she's very fun to watch. Um, we had gotten up to okay. So her whole thing is, um, you know, she's a new agent. This is her first mission, and basically, her objective is to get into Iran under a solid cover. Um. Without spoiling anything, is there a connection to why she needs to be an undercover of seismologist that you could deduce from from season one? Or is that just they just thought that was like a way in? Well, they they make the point a couple of places that Iran is is really Disneyland for seismologists that there's a lot of earthquake activity that goes on there. Oh, I missed that. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's a hotbed of seismic activity. Uh, And I think, you know, there's, there's that scene in, I think it's the ninth episode or the eighth episode, maybe where Marina is being interrogated by that woman who says she's Reza's wife, mm-hmm. but she, but she's really from Iranian intelligence oh. and she's there to kind of vet Marina and try to figure out if Marina is a spy or not. And one of the questions she asks her is, you know, well, why do you want to go to Iran? And she says something like, you know, because, you know, it's a seismologist's dream to be in a place like Iran because of all the stuff that goes on. Okay. And okay. that'll definitely, that will definitely um, 
play out in the second season. I won't, I won't say anything more than that, but that definitely plays out. You know, there's definite reasons why the Iranians want seismologists there. Right. But as far as we know so far, by the end of season one, uh, there's no particular reason to go in undercover as a seismologist, except that that's an accessible way in. You know, the final objective of the mission isn't even known. And I don't think they even have in mind a final objective. They're just trying to establish an agent under very solid cover in Iran. And then I- they'll they'll make use of it somehow TBD. Nowhere in the first season did I get anybody giving me any explanation of what her ultimate, uh, you know, actualization goal might be. Oh, they're well, trying to I, figure about the nuclear program. Yes. Well, yeah, I know it. that's I know that's the target, but you know what's, you know, is is her goal just? I mean, it like it's not spelled out. Like they don't, they haven't. Uh, let's see if. Uh, if step five is uh, sabotage the Iranian uh, nuclear program, they haven't figured out steps three or four yet. Yeah, oh, oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, that's definitely true. You, and I think you said that, or or one of you guys said that on the on the last episode. And I really nodded my head there because you could you could see that they're very much doing this one step at a time or maybe two steps at a time. Right. You know, they, they know they need to get somebody into Iran and they know it has to do with the Iran's nuclear program. You know, so in that way, the, the, the whole plot line is really ripped from the headlines, but they don't really know how that's going to happen once she's there. Right. In stark comparison to, for instance, a James Bond movie where they're going to tell him, you know, James Bond exactly where the nuclear bomb is like in his initial briefing right and he's gonna and he's gonna halo into you know the spot just to the right of where the silo is yeah (laughs) yeah so um yeah my notes on uh i'll start out with my notes on the lusso story uh one thing i really did like as i mentioned before was um marie jean her handler uh, describes to her her three types of enemies, and that's uh, her rivals, uh, the predators, or, you know, the prey, the predators, and her friends. Mm-hmm. And she's she's worked out the predator part. That's her boss, Reza. And she's worked out taking out her, her main rival, this, this guy. But it was still Jerome. left... Jerome. Yeah, Jerome. <laughs> um, and then... The last one, though, kind of flopped for me. This is, uh, she gets really drunk with, okay, so once Jerome's out of the way, it looks like this other girl is going to be up for it. Fanny. And she gets really drunk with Fanny and gets a whole exchange of, like, girl secrets, including, like, uh, Fanny's mother's ignorance of her husband's long-term affair right so yeah that was um you know that that, there's a couple of things that occur to me on on that story and the the one is that she had she almost blew her legend when she was getting drunk with fanny in fact she was literally seconds away from telling fanny 
why she was even at the Institute for real. And then that's when she got sick and ran to the bathroom and started, well, she, she didn't throw up, but she was over the toilet like she was going to. Mm-hmm. Because I guess she realized that she was about to blow it and she got out of there as quickly as she could. And then there's a, a scene that I think is after that, where she's doing another test interrogation with Mary Jean in the, in the music studio that they use as a safe house. And they're deliberately getting her drunk to try to get her to break her legend. They do a and, lot of that in this show. And they, and, <laughs> and she didn't break her legend, even though she was so trashed that she puked all over the desk mm-hmm. that they were sitting at. And I think that's an interesting contrast with the Cyclone story um, because Cyclone's whole thing was that he didn't do the drunk interrogation test because he claimed that he didn't drink because he was a Muslim. Yeah, that's right. And then, then he gets caught for being drunk. which And he gets caught so, being drunk and he spills everything Yeah, you know, to <laughs> whoever will listen, the idiot. Right. <laughs> Right. Well, so, that's, I mean, that's why they, they, they fired or accepted the resignation of the guy way back in episode one that had given Cyclone a pass on his drunk test, um, even though he hadn't actually passed. He right. hadn't even taken the test. Well, yeah, he did that. And then he also tried to, uh, tried to erase the interrogation tape that showed that. Yeah. 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 So, but, so, um, Lie about something and then make it worse by trying to cover it up. Oh, yeah. right, right, right. No good. Um, but I guess what I wanted to say, you know, and we're, you know, we aggressively score our movies on like, you know, minus five points, plus five points. We're not doing that here. Uh, but I actually don't like slash don't understand how um, how it actually works in Lusso's favor to... You know, I mean, uh, she and Marie Jean go to her friend's house and basically spill the beans on the affair that her mother's having. Basically just wreck her family life. Yeah. Um, how does that stop her going for Moran is never made I, clear. I had that same question. So yeah. I didn't, they I didn't just like jumped it. To, they just jumped to, uh, oh, well, she's not going. I guess you're going now. Like, like, they didn't really put that together. Do you have any insights on that, Joe? Not really. You know, it... it in terms of of a believable plot line, you know, yeah, they just they just sort of confronted her drunk mother with the fact that her father has been sleeping around on her for twenty five years. Mm-hmm. But you know that doesn't that wouldn't necessarily mean to me that you as the child would then put your entire life on hold. Right. That, but that's the implication, obviously that, you know, Oh, you know, things are so up in the air with my parents right now. This is the wrong time for me to hop on a plane and, you know, go to Tehran for right. two years or whatever. Yeah. It is. Yeah. No, I thought I, it, absolutely. I thought it was a loose end and something that just wasn't handled correctly by the show. One of You're just right. very, very few quibbles that I would have. Because You're right. I think the bigger I think the bigger point of that entire scene was that Mary Jean basically took Marina along without her even knowing what they were going to do. And she did that to teach Marina a lesson about how fast you can turn on your own friends. 
Yeah. And that, and that you have no friends. Right. Right. And that you can destroy your friends' lives, you know, with no emotion. I, I really liked how that, you know, cause Todd originally brought this part, the, the kill, destroying the friend, uh, when he was talking about his handler, telling her the three enemies that she has. And I thought it was really interesting that the friend was on there. Um, you know, both storytelling wise, but also for, I guess from a tradecraft perspective that, you you know spies are still human you know and yeah. you, you get to know somebody and you get to like them like yeah. you're not just like pretending to be this person you have to live as this alias that you're living mm -hmm. you're gonna have friends you're gonna go get coffee it's but that's part of like human intelligence is building relationships right and and you see like this friend of hers gets in her way and she doesn't want to do the shitty things that she did to everyone else because she like like quote unquote likes this person right right and and the handler had to point out to her, look, you can have friends, we're your friends, we're your family, you know, but she's, she's just a, a, an asset and you and this can't, is, you can't you're, get You're absolutely you. right. You're absolutely right. And this is in, and they do this a fair bit, I think, in the Bureau with the, with the Marina story and mm -hmm. the Malatru story mm -hmm. in that, you know, here's Marina, the young trainee, you know, which they all have in these kinds of shows. Yeah, Right. And then you've got the, you know, the wizened old veteran who's seen it all and done it all. Um, and really the situation between her, between Marina and Fanny is not unlike the situation between Malatru and Nadia. Yes. And that Nadia was not a target. Nadia mm. was somebody that he met while he was in Syria, posing as a French teacher but he wasn't spying on her and he had no ulterior motive in romancing her. Mm -hmm. She just, it was part of his life in Syria, but mm -hmm. the same thing is sort of true with, with, um, with Marina and Fanny. I mean, they were buds until she had to destroy Fanny in order to advance, you know, and, and be the one picked to go to Iran. And she probably, she would not have done it on her own. But Marie Jean forced her to. Yeah, right. I mean, I mean, I've got a, uh, I think a more direct comparison, which is uh, Reza fucking up by telling uh, Lusso, Marina Lusso, uh, that you know that that chick that was pretending to be my wife that was actually Iranian intelligence. We just have to do that kind of stuff. I just don't like having secrets between us. That's him failing on the, and of course he's not intelligence so we grade right. on a curve right right you know, I, I think they were trying to establish him as you know just a scientist right you know not yeah. interested so, in all the political stuff so he's not right. trained and we grade on a curve but him telling her that is exactly the kind of thing that they're warning against like just your friends are not your friends you know yeah like that's an act of friendship on his part yeah that's just purely like uh you know I I want us I want us to be friends. I don't want there to be secrets between us. That's right. what he's doing by telling her that. And, um, and in truth, I mean, she would have she would have found that information out anyway because assuming she went to Iran at some point, she would have met his wife. Right. Oh, right. Well, I think she would in the in in the bureau. She's already been told. I think you know, uh, Marie Jean has already told her. So you know, him giving her that information is just. It's not it's not telling her anything she doesn't know, except right. that uh well, that he's not 
he's not had the same kind of training she has because what he's doing again is exactly the kind of thing that Marie Jean has trained Lousseau to never do. That's a great point. Right. Um, what else? Uh, let's see. What else with Lousseau? Well, let's see. Um, well, we can talk about get what, like, cause this is all, this is all kind of set up for episode 10. Cause she, she ends up getting her friend out of the way and gets to go to Iran, but that's kind of, uh, 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 that doesn't go um, very smoothly, right? She gets picked up at the airport, and maybe maybe we should chat about that. I I, yeah. I liked I liked that a lot actually. Uh, finding out the big twist on that at the end. That was that was a, a it, it was weird the way they set it up. You know, you 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 sort of struggle to figure out what's going on at first, and then you kind of get it. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> But you had to be paying close attention to hear that she was flying to Iran through Tbilisi, which is in Georgia, uh-huh. which is still kind of controlled by the Russians. Uh-huh. Um, and then, you know, catching a connecting flight to Tehran from there. And so the people back at the bureau saying, you know, well, the, she was on the manifest for the flight to Tbilisi, but she wasn't on the manifest for the flight from Tbilisi to Tehran. Mm-hmm. And finding out that way that, you know, that she was missing. Yeah. Uh, and then just having to sit there in Paris and sweat, wondering, you know, if she'd been taken off, if she'd been shot, if she'd been thrown into a prison somewhere, you know, if, she, you know, they were going to get a call from her, which would have been terrible. Right. Um, you know, all that stuff was up in the air. Mm-hmm. And there she is, you know, without her without her underwear in, in that <laughs> whole crummy hotel in Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was, uh, but I, I, yeah, I, I thought the show not only cinematically, I guess, or from a storytelling perspective, really gave us the anxiety of this situation, both for herself as well as for all of her, like everybody back at headquarters. Um, and then to find out that this was also part of the test, was was even I, I like I just the way it was executed was so well done because we're sitting there with her and like you'd said if you're playing close attention you can kind of see what's going on eventually and I, I think what really triggered it for me was when the maid gave her the phone for mm-hmm. in trade for her panties or something yep and I was like why would they they were we already saw her break out and they like got her and it was like crazy high security why would they allow that? It's, it was almost like obviously fed to her. You know what I mean? I and- think I, I buy that theory. I, I buy, I buy the theory, especially now, um, which I'm glad Joe confirmed, like it is the Russians that have her at the hotel, mm-hmm. which I was head scratching a little, but now that, you know, if you say, you know, Tbilisi was Russian controlled. Oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So like, she's, it's like, it's like, okay, and, you know, we have all the tests that the DGSE has prepared her for, but she's been tested by the Iranians, and she's passed. Mm-hmm. But, so, this makes much more sense to me as as opposed to, like, a second, more brutal test from the Iranians, but this is a test of the Russians to see if she passes, yeah. you know, because the Russians aren't necessarily, even if the Russians and Iranians are ostensibly... Uh, have similar goals that doesn't mean that the fsb and the iranian secret services just 
necessarily trust each other or their methods, you know, right. just well, as because you, as you see with the, you know, in the, in the, uh, interactions between the FSB guy and the Syrian Nadim, you know, you see that basically the, the, the FSB is the big brother for all of these other countries. I mean, mm-hmm. so, you know, so if you're Iran, you know, and you're trying to vet people coming into your country to work in a sensitive area, like, you know, seismology mm-hmm. in Iran, um, you know, the Russians are probably going to want to have their own test. The, pro- the Russians are probably going to want to devise something of their own and right. not necessarily trust their junior partner in Tehran to Preci- get it right. Precisely. Yeah, that's how it all fits in nicely together with me. And I don't think we'll ever know if the uh, housekeeper was specifically... Uh, you know, given, you know, if, if the FFSB handler had somehow made a decision like, okay, she's had enough now let's give her the test and yeah. sent the housekeeper in with instructions, but it would make sense to me. It, it and, would. I never thought about that. I I thought that the housekeeper was just a housekeeper and, right. and <laughs> I shouldn't, I should never do that in a spy show. Right. <laughs> uh, but uh, she does pass with flying colors. I really like, like, cause I, I think the, her, uh, Marie Jean, John and, uh, the, the head guy of the department were really sweating. Henri. Yeah. Henri, like, like she can't call us. She, she better not call us. This, this could be the worst thing. And, and she figures it out. She calls Reza directly. And it's right. like, I don't, I don't know what happened. I, I'm at the airport and they just come take me and they say, I have something in my suit. She plays the, she plays the, the alias so well constantly. And, and I was really happy to see that, you know, like, uh, when, when, uh, Rijan talks to, um, uh, Dubai, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and is, and, and she's like, aren't you worried? He's like, no, we trained her. You trained her well. I trained her well. She she's been trained for the situation, you know. Even though he's really worried about his other stuff that's going on in his life, but right, um, you know, I, I like how he's just like, well, she's been trained for this. She'll be fine. Well, we'll you know, uh, and 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 uh, I, I I liked it. I, I liked it a lot. It, it kind of it, it, it struck some chords with me. I was really like kind of jazzed up watching. Yeah, this. she's definitely <laughs> fun to watch. But story wise, that's all we get. End of episode ten. She's passed yet another test and we'll get to see more of what she does with that in, in In season season two. two. Uh, And then I'm ready to move on over to the cyclone story, Mm -hmm. which is ostensibly like our main, like definitely it's the story that is, um, or the plot line that has got the GGSE superiors, the most worried. This is the most high profile uh, situation that's happening. In fact, it's got a lot of people um, very, very concerned. Um, before we before we go into it, I, I think right now I want to mention this GDA or Jihad oh yeah, data. Jihad data. Yeah. Yes, I really love this. Joe, do you want to explain it to us? It it comes up when. I, I can't tell you which episode it was, but it comes up when uh, they're trying to explain to the foreign ministry um, why they're talking to the Algerians and 
making it look as though they want to do a deal um, to get Cyclone back. Mm-hmm. While at the same time, they're planning a rescue operation that is what is really going to get Cyclone back. Mm-hmm. And right. they talk about this GDA, which is a term I'd never heard before. Um, but just the idea of getting, you know, intel on these jihadis and, and what their networks look like and how their networks operate and, and stuff like that. Apparently, that's, you know, that's all the rage to the people at the DGSE. And you can see something about the way the DGSE sees itself in the world mm-hmm. from, from that focus. And that is they see themselves as a broker of information. Yes. In other words, they are, you know, they're like a, a, a they're like a middleman to the world and they'll sell the intelligence data that they get to anybody, you know, who will pay for it. Well, and that, I, yeah, go and, ahead. Sorry. And that that theme or that that positioning is what that speech that Mag makes to the Russian guy uh, after the, the failed recruitment of Nadia. Mm-hmm. That's what that speech is all about, too. You know, that that they are in this for the information and the people involved don't really matter. So right. Comes so up like, a couple of times. Um, what I like is this idea that Jida is this like it's it's like one hundred percent fungible information, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to like okay, let's say let's say uh, uh, a nuclear power plant in Philadelphia. I don't even know if they have one, but is going to get attacked. That's interesting information to me. The United States, mm-hmm. China might not give a shit. Right. Russia might not give a shit. It's just it's it's just something that I care about, like me and and my enemy, whoever's planning the attack. However, the jihadists are like kind of like everyone's enemy, like or or at least everyone everyone is super interested in knowing what the jihadists are doing to the extent that like any piece of information you can, any piece of GDA is just valuable in and of itself because even if it doesn't pertain to uh, my agency, someone cares, right? And, and then can, I can trade it for yes. for something that I care about. Like it's just it's just very fluid, super fungible information. Exactly. Everyone wants a piece of it. Everyone wants as much of it as they can get because again, because its trade value is so high. Right. You may use it yourself. And if you don't use it yourself, you're going to be looking for a buyer. It's just like cash, you know, like you can spend it on whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's very true. That's a very good point. Right. Yeah. Um, So when we when when we left off in our last podcast episode at the end of episode six, uh, General Kerbush has been can we do a pronunciation check there or are we cool? I, th- I think you're good. Carabouche. Carabouche. Right. Yeah. Um, he's the guy that uh, they're, uh, the, the DGSE lands on as being the most likely guy that is trying to communicate to back to them about something about Cyclone. Mm-hmm. And so... What they do is, um, okay, there was the whole scooter thing. 
Yeah. Which was brilliant. Um, what I saw, what I saw here, or okay, now I this is still lead up. We haven't got to episode ten, but I got to fill in between like seven through nine. Is that the DGSE sent Kerbush a very large sum of money? I think it was the value of the scooter that was currently on eBay, and he returns it. They get to see what his response was by hacking the banker's computer, which is illegal as fuck. I hope. <laughs> yeah right <laughs> but what's cool about this is he uh okay he returns the money and then makes a call to his doctor that that they had used to like kind of uh ask him about the scooter in the first place do you guys know what i'm talking about i hope Ab- i know absolutely what you're talking it's about. so it's it's so convoluted but it's so fucking great everyone here is just talking in code and nobody's saying what they mean and everything's like clues 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 um but i guess okay i'm i'm gonna work it backwards let's go uh let's go forwards i'm general kerbush uh my wife died in uh algeria in a situation where the french were in control and i don't have the details of how she died and it haunts me greatly i really want to know how like how she died if i ever got a piece of information that was valuable enough to trade to the french for that information for those tapes i would take a hold of it and that's what happens when they lose uh dgse loses cyclone uh debay and duflo uh mm-hmm. make their little pitch of like hey you ever lost anything that comes through back to them as a, like, I don't know, could it have been a scooter? Blah, blah, blah. The thing is, what's brilliant about Kerbusha's plan here is, like, he can't know who, like, he only cares if the French are trying to get a hold of him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't right. care if anyone else. So well, I think, if yeah. you remember, If you remember, after the French figured out that Kerbusha would be the most likely person, to be the one selling the information, selling the scooter. Um, they called him. They called him from a con from a conference room. Well, yeah, I remember. No, they. Oh, wait. And I, they. This happens, I think, in in probably in episode six. No, they called uh, him from a conference room, and to get him to. They pretended to, the to be phone, his cancer doctor, though. To wait, be his cancer. Doctor. Okay, right. That's right. That's right. right. <laughs> so they they actually. It, you, you can think of it this way. They sort of opened that as the communications channel. And he's smart enough to know that, okay, if I want to send a message back. So some, so he knows as soon as they mention, as soon as his quote unquote cancer doctor mentions the scooter, he right. realizes he's not really talking to his cancer doctor. Right. But when he wants to send a message back to them, what he does is, make a call to his cancer doctor knowing that they will they will be listening that they've figured out that tap in on his line and they'll figure it out they'll get the message what's happened here i think is that because he's been sent the money for the scooter he knows it has to be the french cuz otherwise who who might have been calling him i don't know but it's only when they've sent the money that he knows okay it's the French that are trying to contact me. 
And those are the people I do want to talk to. So I will make a call back to my cancer doctor, which they will reinterpret as let's set up a meeting. Exactly. A hundred percent love and it. They probably, even, and probably would have been my top, if I was rating it, my number one best tradecraft of this season. And the two, the two techie guys, you know, one of them is Ellen Stein. I don't know if we ever get the other one's name. Um, but the two techie guys even comment on that to each other. It's like, you know, this is a smart guy who knew that we'd be listening to his <laughs> doctor's phone, to his doctor's phones. Well, you know what? A, min- a minute ago, you mentioned that, like, uh, you mentioned how the uh, FSB is like the big brother or the, what did you say? The big brother? Yeah, absolutely. The right. big brother for all those, well, for all those countries. Uh, Kerbouche, Lefker, like these guys are all KGB trained. Mm-hmm. Even though they're they're Algerian, um, you know you can look at them and their files and their experience. You know that they know how to play the game, and they know how to communicate through this weird kind of code thing, which is done in the bureau in a way that I've just never seen in any other spy movie or spy television show. No, it's it, unique. I just love nobody. Yeah. Nobody plays a card. Nobody puts a card on the table ever. They just kind of hint that they might have a card and, you know, it's, ah, yeah. Well, and and they did that with Debye when he reaches out to the Americans, right? He goes to that cigar shop to talk oh, to Oh, right. Yeah. And, yep. and he knew the Americans would be listed. Like, they, I yeah, you're right. I thought it was super clever that they knew that this, this, this particular meeting isn't the game trick I'm playing. I'm actually trying to get the attention of these other guys by doing this thing. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so I, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Todd, because it was it's it's really well done in this show. Like I've seen it kind of in films, like but it's it's like there's a lot of hand holding, you know, in in other spy films. And I see this one, it's just kind of like uh, like this is how we do it, you know. <laughs> like I mean, the best the best oh wow Hollywood version of it that I've seen is where Jason Bourne uh, in Supremacy. Just, oh, yeah. just shows up using one of his identities and just purposely gets caught by, like, not caught, but by de- detained by just some random dude in Europe. But yeah. he know, <laughs> but he knows, he knows they're looking for that signal, and he knows they'll detect it, and that everything will just play out correctly from there. That's the Hollywood version, which yeah. I think is totally dope. This is like a way <laughs> more subtle. Yeah. And, and and well played out version um in in every way um so yeah uh again so so that tells me that the scooter remember the scooter is being bid on uh yeah. bid up and the dgse is like oh my god he's selling it he's selling our agent on the open market this is embarrassing and ridiculous but in the end, I don't think that was the case. I don't think there was anybody bidding on that scooter except Kerbouche. Yeah. Oh, just pumping up the price, yeah. <laughs> to make you know, it look like. He had his secretary log into eBay and, you know, <laughs> put, type in a number. Yeah. <laughs> because he knew that the only people who actually knew about the scooter were the French. Right. But he right. wanted them to think that other people might know about quote unquote, the scooter or cyclone to get the French to come and talk to him. And again, go back to his ultimate goal is just this closure that he needs. It's a really solid scene and it's a really great character moment. Mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah, I, I that the guy who played Carabouche was terrific. I thought fucking fantastic. Yeah, and yeah. he so looked the part. You know, I know you guys love the movie Battle of Algiers. Oh and, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, you you could definitely see that. You know that that was probably a young man. You know, fighting in the Battle of Algiers back yes. in the day. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Left Kier maybe was too, although he looked a little younger, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But uh, you, you, you could definitely kind of see those guys as you know, young street fighters fighting the French in the late fifties in Algiers. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they definitely had that. Like, uh, I've seen some shit kind of feel to them. You know, I've, I've, definitely I've, I've been around the block. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So what so, you get on that, so just to just to close the loop on that, what you get on that recording is that Lefkier, you know, who was identified as the guy with the lisp, mm-hmm. um, was telling somebody, you know, how he had killed Kerbusha's wife as a way to destroy him mm-hmm. um, and make it look like she left him. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh wait, what? I totally, I totally skipped that. Yeah. yeah. When when he's um when he gets that tape that he sits down and listens to right. what he's listening to is a phone conversation from you know like like 20 years ago mm-hmm. of Lefkier um talking to someone else and explaining how he had the wife of Kerbouche killed but made it look as though she had left her husband. She was leaving her husband, put a note on the table saying, I'm leaving you. And he'd really killed her. And Kerbouche, you could tell, always thought that that's probably what happened, but he needed that closure that yeah. his wife hadn't left him. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That was a great moment of acting for him because, mm-hmm. you know, they're playing off this whole spy trade and, you know, deep, if you, if you see the kind of outcome of that and you kind of play it back and watch him kind of, you know, keeping up the, the image of the tough spy negotiator. And he's really got like this, just like void in his heart from like, yeah. there's no way my wife would have left me. You know, I can't believe it. You know, the, like, and, and, and he finally gets that piece that he's been looking for for 20 years. Like, you know, mm-hmm. Todd, you pointed out earlier, he's, He's trying to get these tapes and looking for the opportunity to give something to the French to get that tape. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's just, and it was all just like him holding on, like, no, there's no way she would have left me. Like, you know, type of thing. Like, like, you, you know, if, if she really did leave him, he probably would understand. Like if it was, you know, like, like, you know, as a husband, you kind of probably pick up on, well, maybe I didn't do this, but you know, if she was, if they were really, if she really like adored him, he probably would be like, that doesn't make sense. Why would she, this came out of left field type of thing, like, you know, and, and this really was, it would, would, you know, like tradecraft aside on all of the whole bargain and negotiation, but just that acting moment. I I, I just loved watching him. It's a human moment. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect way to describe it. And, and it reminds me of, um, I've heard that any, I've heard that any journalist that has, has, uh, many journalists that have interviewed uh, retired homicide detectives will tell you that every retired homicide detective that has a long enough career has some case that late at night they go down into their basement 
and and crack open a beer and just start going through the shit again like it's some some unresolved issue that's like just gonna haunt them forever because the case was never closed yeah Um, Yeah, i believe it and and this is like the spy version of that and yeah you got to remember like you know a lot of a lot of spies people in intelligence they might have like bad shit that has happened to them in the past that might haunt them enough that that they would you know pull strings and play the game just to get their own personal uh issue resolved yeah. you know as opposed I, to what it looked like as opposed to what it looked like which was you know hey, cyclones on the open market no it's completely is something different very personal but it does mm-hmm. work out for us and again that's you know as as we were talking about earlier that's one hoarded piece of information from 20 or so years ago that was valuable to one specific person. Exactly. Yes. No one else. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. They tried to recruit Lefker's assistant, uh, Miss, Mrs. Slimani. Um, I, I, yeah, I felt so bad. I'm glad they resolved that quickly because I already was like, this is not going to work. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't believe I'll put this as minus spy points for the, for the DGSE. I don't believe you could make shoes. Uh, I don't believe you could make a copy of my shoes. Yeah. No matter how good you are from a photograph that I'm going to put them on and not notice a difference. If there's shoes I wear every day, I'm gonna be like this. This feels this feels funny. What's up with my shoe? I I didn't I didn't I didn't believe it for a second, and yeah. uh, you know I was justified when I mean it didn't it didn't last a second. <laughs> yeah, that, very creepy the way they the way they handled that revelation. You know, with the oh. with him sitting there and telling her she's getting a raise, and then here's this present. Yeah, you know, and you can just see, you know, she knows immediately, you know, what he's really doing. Uh, you know, there was no, there was no uh, uh, surprise on her face at all. Yeah. Um, you know, when he started in with that, you deserve a raise. I'm going to yeah. double your salary. Right. Yeah. It, it, I, I would like it to just think... happen way too fast, and yeah, and the the. You know, having the woman who was, I guess, on the Algeria desk at the DGSE, she was the woman who contacted um, Mrs. Slimani in the in the hair salon. Mm-hmm. You know, same woman. Um, you know, and I, 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 again, I mean, I think that story is more to tell or to show another example of, you know, how people at the DGSE have to rationalize something like this. Right. You know, and, and, and they go back to her at the end of the, at the end of the episode after they're, they've confirmed that, you know, Mrs. Slimani was killed by mm. left gear, yeah. you know, and they go back and, and she says something like, you know, well, uh, you know, the best surgeon in the world is wrong 17 times in his career, statistics say, you know, and that results in patients dying, you know, so you just have to, you just have to chalk it up to that. Uh, You know, like she's already, she's already got that hardness to her. Uh Yeah. I'm going to keep an eye. I'm going to keep an eye on that lady uh, (laughs) for sure. 
and for other reasons she she makes some she makes some bold moves coming up too um it's it's not entirely clear to me you know that throughout the series and this goes into other seasons that we aren't going to talk about but there are interactions with the different desks you know there's a syria desk obviously and there's a an iran desk and there's um uh, you know, and there's desks for regions and desks for specific countries. And you meet some of the people who are on these desks mm-hmm. in future seasons. And some of them, you know, go right out of the picture as soon as their plot line is resolved and you never see them again. So some of these people like, you know, I don't want to I don't want to name any names, but some of these people you'll never see again. Because okay. in oh. season two, they will have moved on. Okay. That's kind of be- cool. That's and a good way to kind of a different set of countries. That's a really good way to deal with uh, uh, that type of like that much of information. Just give them like a, a couple episodes and just chalk it up as like, okay, you're this, the, the Poland desk and something happens in Poland. This episode, this episode on the bureau, there's something going on in Poland. And then it, it really plays up to the overarching story somewhere but we get this really interesting insight onto like a more smaller area than this like big state, you know, that that's really cool. Mm-hmm. But that's a good way to handle that much information. They, I, Cause this story, this show's not episodic, but they have, it just says from what you're describing, it sounds like that they've found like an interesting way to, to deal with small episodic type of issues. They're going to, I mean, they're going to stay pretty well focused on, on the middle East broadly. Oh broadly defined um but you're you're gonna meet people from other desks uh in subsequent seasons okay and there will be other countries brought in and and one of the things that you know i'll I'll say this is sort of an overall point on the show is one of the things that you notice is how many different languages are spoken uh on the show Oh, it's incredible. I, you never get this. Actually, always- not not especially because one thing I noticed, well, at least the subtitled version I have uh, that I watched, like they don't specify what language is being spoken. Mm-hmm. They don't specify it. But, um, you know, Nadia, for example, I mean, Nadia is speaking French and she's also speaking Arabic. Yeah. Um, okay. The FSB guys are speaking Russian and they're also speaking English. Right. And um the uh um the marina plot line she's speaking french and she's FFC. also speaking farsi right yeah. this is i mean this is a show and this is had been one of my you know just minor complaints about the the version that i watched is you know some uh some shows or movies like they'll they'll tell you in the subtitles like what language is being spoken yeah. and this one doesn't yeah, At it's very international that way. It's very international that yeah, way. Yeah, I would rather I would rather have been able to see uh like what languages are being spoken at each at at each moment. For instance, like, you know, when the FSB are tailing uh who they think is Paul Lefebvre. Lefebvre? There you go. Okay, yeah, cool. you go. Ah! <laughs> Plus pronunciation points. Um you know, I still hadn't figured out exactly who they were. So I'm looking at them, what I think is them speaking French, maybe. And I'm thinking like, well, why are they speaking French to each other when they're alone in the car? It seems to me like, uh, you know, 
even if I was operating, if I was an FSB uh, operative working in France, when I'm alone in the car with my buddy, I would speak Russian. Russian. Yeah. Um, but it sometimes it doesn't seem like they're doing that. And well, and I was, what I, was, what I was thinking of was the the scene in I think it was episode nine where uh, the FSB goons are tailing Malatru, and he goes into a publishing bookstore. Not well, it's a it's a publisher's office. Yeah, yeah. Because his cover is that he's an author, um, and, and he's the, doubling down on this cover. He's doubling on his cover and establishing his cover. So he goes into that publisher's office and then those two Russian goons are in the car behind him and they kind of hang fire out in front of the publisher's office. And then if you remember, he sneaks away by having, it's either grandpa or grandma. I can't forget which one is which. Me too. <laughs> it comes, yeah. comes rolling by in the garbage truck. Yeah, and that was he so sneaks clever. out the door and yeah. hops in the passenger side, and they, off they go and leave the yeah. Russians sitting there smoking and cooling their heels. But they're speaking Russian in the car, right? With 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 subs. Yeah, and I think it's like you know, as a, like because this is a French show, and yeah. most of Europe understands there's more languages than just English. Oh, so yeah. like. Yeah, so I, I can see the the internationalness of where people might pick up. Oh, this is probably this, and this is probably what they're speaking. Versus, like, if this was an American show, they might be will actually only be like two languages spoken total to not be confusing to an American audience. But it's mostly going to be all English, and then they'll be, hey, guess what? They're speaking Russian, you know. Right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I I like that too. That that they they kept it super real because. Yeah, that, like that's a really good point about how many languages are actually spoken. Because you know, a typical spy film, like I don't care who makes it. Like if it's a Chinese spy film and they're speaking English, you know, it's going to be mostly Chinese, and then it'll just be English. They're not going to be they're not going to be having Russian and Japanese and French and like English and Arabic, you know. But this, we get like an array of languages going on. It was kind of nice to hear, but. Uh, yeah, to Todd's point, it's like for an American audience, it might be nice if they flag like, "Hey, this is uh, this is this language." <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's um, it 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 gets even more that way in subsequent seasons. You know, I, I thought to myself, I mean, especially like in season four, mm -hmm. uh, there's a ton of Russian being spoken, mm -hmm. and you know, for the first few episodes, not that much French. And it's a French show, right? Um, you know, and it's Russian with French subs in in one of the major plot lines of that season, and you know, so I thought, okay, well, you know, now the French don't have an advantage over me, a non-French speaker. You know, how, are you, a, how are you? What version? What version of this show are you watching? Um, I'm just, you know, I'm just watching uh, the the video files that someone has hard coded the subs into. Okay. But it's right. got subs for all the different languages. Oh, okay. Different version, different version than me, because like there's like Le Bureau uh, de Legend, which de Legend. Uh, yeah, the the original, and then I guess the the Bureau uh, was the that's just the English name, English name of it, yeah. but also an English a different English production. Which you might get different subtitles from. So I was just, I was just curious. Dave, oh, you watched it on what Amazon Prime? 
Yeah, I got it through the Sundance add-on that Prime has. And, okay. Um, uh, I had to turn the subs off because the video file on Prime already had subs, and the subs on the, the Amazon subs were just basically speaking French, speaking Arabic. They weren't actually <laughs> subbing the show. Oh, okay. So it was captioned, yeah. Yeah, it was the, yeah, exactly. It was the caption. So I had to turn off the Prime subs, and there was already subs in the video that were in English. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, b- believe me, I don't think anybody is, from the sounds of it, I don't think there's any clean subs of this show. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it. Let's, yeah. let's get back to, uh, let's get back to the meat of the, the cyclone plot. What we've yeah. learned from Kerbouche is basically Lefker, uh, saw him, saw a cyclone, saw cyclone mm-hmm. just fucking up. At least that's what we hear from Kerbouche. And right now I don't have any reason to doubt him. Uh, yeah, Cyclone wasn't double crossing anyone. He just legitimately got drunk and fucked up. Right. Yeah. And Lefker, uh, you know, through some complicated shit, which we don't have to go in here now, you know, it came to his attention. Uh, he grabbed the guy, Cyclone, and is trading him to the Sahel Islamic State in order, in a way that'll make his mole. Within the Sahel Islam. Uh-huh. Look more legitimate. Look credible. He's right. He's just uh he's just again, it's like it's like Jida. It's uh it's not that Lefker is trading Cyclone for any other reason than to build up the credibility of his mole. And it's not like they're they're doing any of this stuff with uh the DGSE is doing any of this stuff with Lusso except to you know, create a mole and establish credibility. Uh, mm-hmm. The payoff will come later. Mm-hmm. But we know that the Sahel Islamic State are probably planning on uh, executing Cyclone in a very public way. And so the clock is ticking on that, right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so not only are they going to lose their agent, but this is like a huge diplomatic or uh, PR issue for the country. Right. right. Yeah. One of their, you know, one of their, and the only, the French in, in the show, at least the, the French don't have that many deep cover agents. Mm-hmm. I think at one time, you know, they ask and, and Henri Duflo, who's the director of the office says that they have 12 in the oh. world. Oh, wow. You know, so, so, yeah, he, not, so Cyclone yeah. was one of only 12 French deep cover agents in the world. Wow. So for that, you know, for that asset to be blown and publicly executed uh, by the Islamic State would not be good for morale for the other 11. Yeah, right. You know, who are out, who are still out in the field. Right. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's absolutely horrible. Um so somehow, like they, they they push it up the chain, and they get in touch with the Algerians at a at a higher level, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, you know, Duflo's immediate superior is who the guy I call Mag. Mag, that's yeah, right. Um, he's got a superior named Genquan. Now you're a little wrong on that, Gen- okay. uh, Marcel. Uh, the guy with the really pointed nose and the sort of baldish and balding head. Um, Marcel is the director of operations. So he's kind of at the same level as Mag. 
but their boss of boss of both of them is that guy Pierre who shows up in that scene where they're talking to the Algerians. Right. When they go to talk to the Algerians is definitely, it's been pushed up to the highest level. Right. So that guy is the director of the whole DGSE. Oh, and okay. the, the departments of the DGSE includes operations. And that's is what he, Marcel runs. Is he the director general of the DGSE? Yes, he is. Okay. Yes, he is. That's right. that's uh, um, that's Mag's boss. Okay. 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 Excellent. Excellent. So is, I guess one... Mag is a, is the head of intelligence within mm-hmm. DGSE. Marcel is the head of operations. I mean, he's the head of all the kinetic things that they do, mm-hmm. and uh, and Pierre is the is both of their bosses, and Henri Duflo who runs the Bureau of Legends reports to MAG. That's the org chart. Right, right, right. Okay. So, but when they want to talk to the Algerians at the highest level, that's Pierre. Yep. And that's, I think, his only scene in this season. He, um, well, I think he's in another one where they, where they aren't they talking to, uh, it, maybe this was like the first or perhaps a second episode where they actually speak to the president of France. Remember they're all standing in that same conference room and they oh, stand oh, attention. You, uh, and yeah, I wouldn't yeah, remember yeah. that. That was earlier in the season. Um, but that, you know, Pierre was the guy in the middle of the table for that one too. Right. But this is the scene where they, they, uh, they have the, the conference and it's, it's very, it's very, um, it's very high level, like top tip, top of the pyramid, there's only a few people in the room uh, with this conference call to the top guy, the equivalent top guy on the Algerian side. Yeah, I, I guess he's the Algerian counterpart, you know, head of right. Algerian intelligence. Um, this is the scene which is beautifully started out with like, you know, how, how, how have you recovered from your beating yet? Yeah. And <laughs> they're just talking about like some soccer, soccer game. game. Right, yeah. of course. <laughs> and And it's beautiful. This whole situation like sets up that uh okay, the Algerians you know, quote unquote admit like uh okay, it wasn't our decision, but yeah, one of our guys did the thing and it was sold a, the, it was a sold rogue the operation. Right. Yeah. Um they say okay, the Algerians say they have a mole in the Sahel, and that's gotta be left here's mole. Right. And then they'll they'll apologize for the fuck up by sharing the Gda that they get from right. him, which is you know uh, softballing. Like okay, we'll go with it. Um, here I get confused again, like because right it was the next scene where the doctor spies in the Sahel, the Felis mm-hmm. operation, got the message that things are okay again. But then right after that, Mag Superior, or at, at least, I'm sorry, not Superior, you're, I'm talking about Genquan, yeah, tells him that the Americans are shutting Felix down. Those felt contradictory, like, information and, and helped with my confusion about how Felix is so what, involved in all this. So what, yeah. so what must have been going on then is that the Felix operation was joint between the French and the Americans. That's the only way that makes sense. Let me ask you a question. Wait, wait, wait. Is it true that 
uh, Deflo's brother-in-law is one of the guys in the Felis operation. I believe it is. I, okay. I, I can't tell you that for sure, though. I mean, I just I remember... <laughs> Oh, I just remember, you know, Duflo talking to him on on Skype, you know, literally like at his kitchen table. Yeah. And he's, you know, because, you know, there's compartmental information. So he doesn't necessarily know what his brother-in-law is up to, even though they both work for the DGSE. Mm-hmm. And the way he gets around it or, you know, or 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 tries to establish it is he says, you know, if I say a certain word, you know, will you tell me if you're familiar with it? And then he looks in the camera and he says, Felice. And the guy's eyes kind of shift briefly. Oh, okay. I remember that. That happened happened very early in the season. Right. Okay. Yeah. That was like an episode two or something. But I'm not sure if his brother-in-law is supposed to be one of those doctor guys, or if he's just an agent, you know, who was working behind the scenes on that operation. Okay. Good enough. But the only way that any of that makes sense is if it was a joint American French operation to set up that clinic mm-hmm. for the purpose of luring this terrorist leader guy that they were calling Chagall. Well, I can tell you one and, one and kill him. I can tell you one reason that it's definitely uh Frencher involved somehow is that Cyclone was the one that picked the location of the Felis operation. Mm-hmm. You caught oh. that, right? Yep. Okay. And he knew, and he knew about it. So it was one of the things he could give away. He knows, right? right he knows the location of the operation, but not what is going on. So Genquin is like uh, asking Mag, um, "Is there is you know what's the what's the what's the leak potential here? Um, is there any way the Americans?" could have found out that Genquan or I'm sorry, Genquan is asking Mag, is there any way the Americans could know that Cyclone is missing and could potentially have messed, uh, you know, compromised their operation? Mm-hmm. Mag- and the answer is, and the answer is that Malatru must at that point have told them. Oh well, I could I could draw an easier line than that. I could say really? Doctor Bombs could have told him. Oh right, right, right. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's much absolutely, more sense. absolutely. Yeah, that makes much more sense. It was Balmez. Because you find out in episode ten that she has been working for the CIA all along. Which okay, now it's time. I'm gonna fly it. She's I double. knew. I knew as soon as she fucking showed up on screen. You you knew she was double something? I knew she was double something. I didn't know what, but I absolutely clocked her like really, really early in the series. Yeah, she yeah, will she off. will be around. She will be around in, in a subsequent season. That's all I'll say. But um it's it's not giving anything away to say that um her story is that her husband was on one of the planes. Uh-huh. And so you'll find out it, 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 it comes up early in season two. Um, but you find out that she went to work for the Americans because after 9-11, when her husband was killed in one of the planes, um, she went to French intelligence and 
they rejected her. And so she went to the Americans and they took her in. Okay. So one way. It's not giving anything away to tell you that. It's just, it's just something you'll learn early in the next season. One way or the other, which I think Balmez is the easiest link. Uh, You know, the Americans are uh, freaked out about the possibility that, you know, Mag or Gencoin can sense that. He asks Mag, is there any way they could have known? And Mag says no. And I give this minus uh minus good good intelligence points um you know he he tells him a flat no and then he immediately goes to deflo and says hey is there any way that there could be a leak um i i didn't like this because you know that's basically mag lying to his superior and that's possibly you know protecting his own butt remember you still you, you you're still thinking that mag uh was under Marcel, but he wasn't. They were peers because they're both at the director level of the DGSE. They're one. They're both one step below Pierre. Okay. So Mag is Mag is a peer of Marcel. Mm-hmm. Mag, okay that that makes it that makes it better. Mag that runs definitely intelligence. makes it better. But Mag definitely, if, if, if it was a superior, ops. if it was a you know superior reporting to his boss kind of situation, I would yeah. I would put the hammer He'd down. He'd be in trouble. Say, He'd be in trouble. Yeah, because oh, yeah. hey, Absolutely. you know what? It will come. You know, it will come out eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and also, you just can't you just can't do that. Like you know, I mean, uh, you know, there's sometimes where we give minus spy points for like this doesn't make sense. There's sometimes we give minus spy points for, oh, this makes sense, but it's just a bad play. Um, In this case, like, I could see it. Like, he's not just protecting his career. He just doesn't necessarily need to tell Genquan everything he knows. Right. But he does go. And he he doesn't know, for sure. Doesn't. And so his next move is to go and kind of make The question was, is there any possibility? And the guy looked at him in the face and said, no. (laughs) <laughs> and then immediately turned around and looked into the possibility. Of course not. That's ridiculous. Go check. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's that's what happened. Yeah. Um. So so that's I mean that's our wow. There's I mean there's a lot of spinning plates going on. Yeah. Um. What they need to do, they need to they figure DJSE figures what they need to do is figure out who Lefker's mole is. Mm-hmm. Um, they go about this in a certain way and they, they find a, a guy of interest. They say they're absolutely in love with him for reasons that are stated on screen and some that I want to talk about. Uh, this is a guy named Jamel. Yeah. They find a man who's worked for Lefker for 13 years without ever getting promoted. Whereas Lefker's uh, people that work for him have a long history of four years with Lefker. And then you can write your own ticket. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. So that, that just pops out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, you know, there are people like that there in any organization, you've got the people who, you know, just they get it done. They do their job, but they're never the stars. 
And, you know, it, it, I, it didn't bother me that a guy like that would, um, would have resentments over the fact that he'd probably been overlooked for promotions and for raises and things like that, you know, in his 13 years. What did bother me was that he was that gullible uh, to accept a friend request on Facebook, you know, from some rando, uh-huh. you know, with a, with a picture of a beautiful woman, you know, as the profile picture and immediately start talking to them. You know, if you've been involved in spy stuff, first of all, I know, in, you know, I know this from my own friends who have worked for the CIA, which is that if you work for the CIA, you stay the hell off of social media, period. Oh, like nobody, even in, as like a nobody in the thing? CIA has a Facebook page. Their their families might, but they don't. And they, they don't, don't even have, have their... like a dummy one at all. Nope. Well, if they do, you know, they're not going to tell you that, but. Oh, oh if, right. Yeah. Or it's part of depending their company on, anyway. Right. Depending yeah. on what they do, but they are, they are really, really, really discouraged uh-huh. from having any kind of a social media presence because all you're doing is giving away information about you, who you are, who your family uh-huh. is, who you right. know, you know, right. all of that sort of stuff that, that can be used against you. Right. And it's, you know, Okay. It's really strange to be talking about like the differences between to me it's very diff- it's very strange to be talking about the differences between 2015 and 2021. Yeah, when the show was but, made. But that is how fast the shit has evolved. And I did hear like a recent um uh report uh you know uh talking about intelligence agencies like no longer being able to maintain these kind of covers at all because the social media presence of, of almost every single person has become so dense that it's, and then probably with, you know, uh, uh, AI algorithm digging as well. Like, like you could spot a fake, and not only could you spot a fake, but you can absolutely spot an absence, mm-hmm. you know, like if you say like, okay, the solution is I just won't be on social media at all. Well, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb yeah. compared to everyone else around you. But less so today as, as people have gotten more wary of social media and a little bit more concerned about their own personal privacy. But I agree with you that in 2015, there were not a lot of people who felt that way, but I, you know, I'm talking about somebody who, you know, I used to work with many years ago who went to work in a non, you know, let me just say a non clandestine role at the CIA. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she, she was not privy to much classified information. She was working in the executive offices. Um, But she was told, you know, no Facebook profiles, no Twitter handles, nothing. Wow. And that was, you know, that was probably, that was probably, uh, you know, the early 2000s or the mid 2000s when she went to work for them. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So they were, and I know, you know, other people I know who, have, who are in other areas of, you know, the alphabet agencies around here, 
for for your listeners, I'm in I'm in Northern Virginia, outside of Washington D.C. But um, you know, none none of the people who I know are involved in something like that uh, are on Facebook. Oh, okay. That's. Uh, I I understand the need for the security. I'm just kind of surprised that there isn't like some sort of protocol for them to, you know, like Todd pointed out, just having the gap kind of looks weird. Um, But uh, I like, you know, it's the amount of information that can be seen publicly through these things. It's it makes it very sensitive uh, of a topic. I'm just surprised there isn't like a protocol. I've heard that there's like, like holiday conversation uh, points for for like people that are involved in very uh high security levels of how they can just deal with like the the conversation at thanksgiving dinner you know so i would mm-hmm. i would yeah. i would i would think there'd be like some kind of protocol like that but uh i i guess it's that big of a deal that they're gonna be like no you're just not even gonna be on it i mean right considering so, the ip the ip addresses like the gpsing that some of those things can do maybe, maybe it's just the security issue of having it on your app or something it could be a bunch of things, but the idea that a guy who's worked in Algerian intelligence, I mean, you know, let's, you know, let's be real here. I mean, Algerian intelligence is not exactly the KGB, yeah. but they're not bad. But uh-huh. the, the idea that a guy who had worked in that field and for that group for 13 years and would be an idiot enough to accept a friend request from someone on Facebook oh, oh, and immediately yeah. fall into the trap of saying, oh, it's general left gear, yeah. you know, reaching right. out to me in the only which, secure which, channel that he I mean, can. Let's, yeah. let's be frank. Like, they, they, they did it pretty good. And supposedly he was vulnerable. Like he was a guy that like, you know, they identified as someone that would spring at the chance. You know, he types, you know, thank you for trusting me. But I, I would I would go back and flip on the organization itself, Lefker's operation itself of, you know, I like the idea of like, you work for us uh, for four years, we trust you, like you're on the leash. I wouldn't keep a guy around like, you got to watch out for those guys. Yeah. Uh, you know, that you just keep around like doing like uh, dumb work for you for 13 <laughs> years. Anyways, that's how how it plays out. They do get a hold of him. They do leverage the fact, you know, uh, I've got a new secretary now. Do you know who I am? <laughs> <laughs> but or if he been... Mrs. Slimani. Right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, a smarter guy like a debate would have said, well, like, I mean, there's two people that know about that, not just one. Mm-hmm. Um. So they give him some, I mean, once he buys the bait, you know, they, they reel him in. They give him a meeting point, some code phrases and instructions to fill him on some details. And they especially need to know about uh, the Sahir mole that this, this is a new person on the team. You need to brief them, blah, blah, blah. And then we go to park bench alert. We have a park bench. That was our first park bench. That was great. 
Yeah, I screamed it as soon as we saw it. I saw it come up. I was like, Park Bench! Yes. <laughs> Only if you don't count Marina sitting on the park bench waiting for Simone to come run. Oh, by. yeah, that's right. But oh, he never right. sat down on the park bench. You know, you know no, he did it. She she got up, and uh, then we get our steamy uh, sex That's scenes. right. <laughs> so, Joe, yeah. you're down with the park benches, right? Oh, absolutely. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. It's, it's a it's a cliche of spy movies. <laughs> it yeah. really is. Yeah. It's the cliche. And you will see more park benches in this show. Okay, oh. cool. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, okay. So then here we go. The trap. Dude, this is so swiftly and brutally and mercilessly executed. You get the guy. To the bench. He thinks he's going to meet with someone. He is going to meet with someone. I'm going to pass you, pass me the information. I'm going to pass you some money. Boom, boom. Check your cell phone. You're fucking caught. Fuck you. You're nailed. Yeah. You're nailed. You should, you, oh my God. It is so swift. It is. They waste no time. uh, And, you know, it, that, that aspect of, of that whole situation was done beautifully at, that it made me overlook how unlikely the whole Facebook approach was, mm-hmm. um, you know, just cause they, they, they just needed to establish that they had interested him somehow, you know, and then they got to the real meat of the matter, which was that park bench. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. I mean, you gotta, you gotta give them some credit for like, just kind of, you know, at some point you got to move the story along. Yeah, and they'll just be like, oh, let's just do something with Facebook, you know. <laughs> okay, so this is where, all right, so now they've, they know, so supposedly, because I assume he passed them the correct information, they know who Lefker's mole is in the Sahir, and they know the way he is contacted, and here's where I get confused, and here where is the number one thing I was hoping Joe could help us out with. Um... Let me just lay it out how I understand it. It looks like they learn that Lefkir's mole, I don't know his name. I'm just going to keep him, keep calling sure him Lefkir's mole. Huh? I'm not sure we ever got a name. Okay. Uh, meets for his instructions at a dead drop, which is like a, a junkyard that the Sahiris go to, I don't know, weekly, two weeks, every something. And like mm-hmm. it seems like his contact is this old man who leans on a stick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Okay. That's, yep, that's right. So how do they? Oh, wait, is it the Algerians helping them out? Like, how do they? How do they get the old man to give him the information? I guess I just talked myself into it. It's the Algerians <laughs> around for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it. The the Algerians are running the mole. Left Gear's mole, um, and they're also running that old man who's their lookout. So and why did they need to do the whole rigmarole about figuring out who the mole was if they already have contact and control of the old man? Don't they already have everything they need? Couldn't we skip the Facebook bullshit? Well, how, well, how are they going to get a message to the mole that he needed to bring Cyclone to this clinic? Oh, we, we haven't got there. We haven't. Oh well, that's what we what that's what we're trying to do, right? Yes, I agree. But why if if we already knew 
who the old man was. Why didn't we already know who the old man was? We got that information from the park bench. Okay. If we got that information from the park bench, then how did we get control of the old man? Hmm. I, I, I agree. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure they made that clear. I'm not yeah. sure they made that clear. Yeah. You, you have to assume some sort of radio communication or phone conversation took Somewhere. place off camera. It's okay. the only thing you can do because it's news to the mole right. when the old man comes up to him right. Yes, and says, I know you work for left gear. Obviously the old man and the mole know each other. They've seen each other before because Correct. the old man is, is there as basically a lookout for them. Mm-hmm. But the old man has been reached to go and, hand off those GPS coordinates to the mole who he only knows is the mole because he was told that the mole is the first guy to get out of the truck. Oh, that's right. Oh, so, Oh, the old guy doesn't know the mole. They just know each other. They know each other. They've seen each other before as, you know, jihadi and guy watching out for the troop, for the cops. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he didn't know that this guy was Lefker's Left mole. Gear's mole until he was told that somehow. So we have to assume that there was some communication to the old man that uh-huh. said, you know, you pass this information along, meaning that the old man was also in the employ of the Algerians somehow. I see. Right. But then, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but. Right. We still have to get to Malachu. If. If he had known, if they had had that information in hand already, then I think they just leveraged the old man and like skipped the whole mole thing. Oh, but that's what we're saying. We think the old man doesn't know Lefker's mole is Lefker's mole. Until he's told. Until he's told that. And And all he's told is the mole is the first guy who gets out of the truck when that truck shows up. Right. Who contacts the the old man? Don't know. Assume that's, it had to that's be. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Assume it had to Swiss be Nigerians. some left gear or or somebody who working for the Algerians. Right, but then that's what I'm saying. Then you could have skipped ahead. But you still need you still need the mole, who is with the group of guys who are in possession of Cyclone. Uh-huh. You still need the mole to get that information. Right. Oh, okay. Wait, 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 wait. I think I got it. The information they got from stupid ass Jamel was not the identity of the mole. It was the identity of the old man. The old man. Now everything's fixed for me. Okay. (laughs) Right? Glad we got there. Like, I thought, I mean, it, it seemed to me like the information they got was they found out who the mole was. But, okay, now now I got it. That works. That works. Then that was my number one biggest fucking question. All right, I'm go. good. There you go. Um, on the Malatru. Yeah, because uh, after that, they just have like a 
Swiss. Yeah, we just walked through Special some stuff. It, it doesn't have okay, any yeah. tradecraft stuff. It's it's some great scenes, but uh, Cyclone gets rescued. Oh, yeah. it's an amazing! I love that scene. Yeah. I absolutely yeah. love that scene. Yeah, um, it was nice. You know that you're you're hearing the guys whispering in their you know in their mics, uh-huh. um, and seeing the you know the night vision footage. Uh-huh. Yeah, the guys in the trucks, you know, and the doctor taking off his hat for just a second. Yeah, and then putting it back on, you know, and then they cut back to the salle de crise, and Marcel says, "You may proceed." And it's like five seconds later, it's like, and they just all all five or six of the terrorists just drop, drop. Yeah, I've got guys come out from behind the berms. I've got one other thing I have to mention uh, about the the cyclone story. Um, there is okay. Uh, Raymond is the guy in the blue sweater who we haven't talked about very yeah. much at all. Um, but he, it seems like he was cyclone's handler. Mm-hmm. And in there's a very nice bookend pair of scenes in episode one and episode ten that I have to mention here. Okay. Uh, in episode one, where Cyclone first goes missing, Raymond goes and he's assigned a situation room. There isn't an, a situation room yet. He's yeah. assigned one and he goes in there and there's, you know, a table. There's nobody there. Uh, he sets up the clocks. You know, it's just him alone in the room. And setting out some water bottles. And this is where it begins. In episode 10, the resolution, you know, he is just barely squeezed in to a last minute. At the last minute, into this is the operation room he set up in episode Mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. And in, in episode 10, he's just barely being squeezed in into a bunch of interested parties. Yeah, um, and there's a, there's a scene I think in it, it might be early in episode ten or or late in episode nine where that handoff is made. You know where now this is operations is ball game, and right. there's a scene where oh, they're talking which is right Ken-Kwan. at the door. Yeah. and Marcel says, you know, I know how hard this is for you. You know, I've been in that same position, and I know how it sucks when. You know, the, the other team comes in and says, you know, thanks. Thanks for everything you did. But now it's our turn. Mm-hmm. You know, he said, I know how hard that is, but that's that's right. Just but the way it, it just, has to be like you can you can look at uh, and I think it's very intentional by the creators of the show. There's a scene in in uh, episode one where it's just him alone first setting this up. And Fine, in episode 10, he's coming in where like everything's gone absolutely like beyond his control but he's still he's still part of it but he's just a a tiny cog in it and i like that very much and and here's another interesting thing too is if you back up a little bit from when raymond gets summoned to go to the, the crisis room the only reason he got summoned to go to the crisis room mm-hmm. is because malatru mm-hmm. fresh from waking up at a rest stop in a car that isn't his Mm -hmm. after the CIA dropped him off and drugged him up, Mm -hmm. um, has the presence of mind to, after he hears Raymond say, you know, call, he he gets a call from Raymond. He answers and says, you know, the operations 
going on. And Malachu says, that's good. And then he hangs up the phone and he immediately calls back and asks to speak to Marcel. And he tells Marcel, he said, Raymond should be in the room because no one of your guys is going to be able to identify him. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you won't know what he looks like and Raymond is the only one who will. And that is what Raymond ends up doing that makes all the difference in that operation because Raymond is the guy who said, you know, Cyclone has a scar on his forehead and he's got a cut, you know, he's, I think he was like, he has a missing ball. Oh, it's a, yeah, it's a ton of, <laughs> a ton of highly information. Right. That's the information that gets passed to the doctor as the doctor goes into the bed of the pickup truck and looks at him and then takes his hat off that signals. This is the guy. Now, so that only happens because of Malachur. Because that's such a good signal. Because if you're a doctor out in the middle of nowhere, you get that, 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 uh, I don't know what you call it, like that, I guess, pantomime of taking the hat out, scratching your head like you're a doctor and like someone's there. And it's like, oh, oh, oh boy, you know, it's, yeah. it was one of those kind of, and it's, so it's really subtle. And, and you can remember, like, okay, don't take the hat off or take the hat off. And, he, and, and I just like the way he does it. He does it like yeah. he just scratches his head like, oh, shit, what do we got here? You know, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, like, I like it was fun. That was well done. But that but that only happened because Malatru called Marcel and mm-hmm. leaned on him to get him to allow Raymond to be in the room. And Marcel no, didn't want to do it at first. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's definitely a good point. Yeah, it seems like Malatru, like he's he's got his because he's our you know our main uh, protagonist that we're watching, but he just right. like has his fingers in everything. And really does. Like, yeah, like I don't I don't know if anybody could humanly possibly pull off what he does. I mean, like I, I you'd, you'd probably have like ulcers the size of like I don't know, like quarters already or something. You'd probably be chugging Maalox or something. Oh, unbelievable. I mean, he is, you know, you'll, you can, you can kind of see even at this early stage in the show that, you know, there, there is something sociopathic about Guillaume de Billy. Oh, oh um, yeah, absolutely. You know, on the one hand, I mean, he's, he's very emotional about his daughter and he's obviously very emotional and very attached to Nadia. Mm-hmm. Um, but every other person, in the show, except maybe Henri. Is he though? I mean, I mean, I see it through, I see it through his actions. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I see it through his, uh, I mean, we get his internal, his internal uh, monologues at the end of a lot of episodes where he kind of wraps things up in a very French way. Yeah. Uh, But, uh, but yeah, Um, he, he's, he's, he's played very well and written very well in a way that, uh, you know, I could, I could see him go left or right and, and still buy it and still realize like, Hey, actually, I, I think I was, you know, I'm saying me as an audience member for a moment, like maybe I, maybe I thought I knew this guy, but I actually don't. Mm -hmm. And, and that's uh, also, Actually, how I kind of wanted to uh, lead into uh, the debate Nadia story, which is our third story, which is kind of like a, a, a non-op. This is like his private fuck up mm-hmm. with uh, him being obsessed with Nadia uh, to mention that there's 
I think there's an interesting thing that uh, uh, showrunners or creators of this show like need to, they feel like they need to have, our main character needs to have a flaw. Mm-hmm. And Debay definitely has a flaw. At least one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he says that, I think, in to Marie Jean at some point late in the season. He says, you know, I made one mistake. One mistake. And everything I've done since then has been trying to fix that one mistake. And that one mistake happens in the first 15 minutes of the first episode, it's when he decides to call Nadia's phone number, which he hasn't gotten rid of yet Mm -hmm. to find out if she's okay, because there was a news story about a bomb. Yeah, He didn't, he didn't clean house. Mm -hmm. He didn't clean house completely uh, in his head. And that's when he finds out that she's actually in Paris and everything flows from there. But that was the one mistake. Uh, and he, he'd really already made that mistake. It was just waiting to happen because if you remember, he had already turned in most, but not all of his legend ID. Mm-hmm, right. He had held Yeah. He kept thing. the one thing in his, in his secret little bathroom compartment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the point I wanted to make was, you know, um, spy, uh, spy stories, Spy movies, David and I have talked about this a lot. Like, there's often not a great, like, character arc, you know, of, like, development, of, uh, you know, facing an internal challenge and overcoming it in a way that, like, good spies, I'm trying to say, like, like we as an audience need a spy that has a flaw. Mm-hmm. I um it. I one thing one thing I gotta say, like I really feel like I mean I already know that uh Debay is gonna be involved in the next five seasons, but I feel like his fuck up with Nadia should have been grounds for disqualification and and you know, here's your retirement check, go bye bye. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's me. Uh, I absolutely think that uh, in, in Homeland, uh, what's her name? Harry. Uh, yeah. Once they find out, like, I mean, I, who knows how she, like, managed to keep her, uh, what is she, bipolar? Yeah, she's got yeah. bipolar disorder, and she yeah. kept that a secret. And then she's stripping, you know, a probable double right. traitor. Um you know, in the form of Nick Brody. Also, also, reason for disqualification and and scoot them out of the service. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't think that audiences like ourselves are going to tolerate watching a drama unfold with people that don't have these, like, really glaring flaws, which in reality should be disqualifying. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it, it's it, it that that fact, and it you know Marie Jean actually alluded to it already. You know that you know when this is all over, you're going to have to deal with the consequences. I think is what she said. Yeah. You know, and that I says it in that kitchen. 
Um, like this can't go unnoticed. Right. You know, and it's, it, it's absolutely. And I mean, obviously his bosses know because he had to come to his bosses eventually when the, when he, the Syrians started tailing him. So his bosses know exactly what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, but for their own reasons, they're trying to help prevent them from figuring out that, that Paul Lefevre is a, in actuality, a real live French agent, which mm-hmm. the, the Syrians already suspect. Well, it, it's not giving anything away to say that, that that set of consequences is not going away in the second season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, they're, the, the first episodes of that uh, address that directly. And I, I can't really tell you more about sure seasons than what that, i i guess without- i just i just want to wrap this up let me let me try to wrap this up by saying like what i'm my thesis is that you can't have a spy story that we would care about unless our main character has some kind of flaw which is actually very unrealistic mm-hmm. like de bailey has a flaw that should ex- should by all logic excuse him from the show but if you excused him from the show we wouldn't have anyone to care about we wouldn't we have want, a show we want we want the flawed person we want the one unreal the one unrealistic thing about our spy hero has to be in place for us to care Mm-hmm. Right. If if we just watched everyone doing their job and not fucking up and not having these flaws, <laughs> yeah. like we would we would get bored, right? Yeah. All right. Absolutely agree. Up until here, uh, okay. So we know what happened. Like you know, he he got involved with someone that was just part of his cover, not part of his target. Mm-hmm. Fell in love. I believe it. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, and, yeah, I think it's very honest, yeah. And at this point, he feels like the only way that he can actually protect her is to totally come clean. We talked about that in the episode of episode six. And so in order to get the resources he needs to protect her, he's going to have to turn her. That's That's what deal he agrees to with the French. Now it's, it's actually, I mean, if you're talking about the whole season, he realizes very quickly. He, at first he thinks once he knows that she is in Paris related to these so-called secret negotiations, he thinks that she is there spying on him. Mm -hmm. That's his paranoid response to that. And it takes him a little while to realize that, no, she's not there spying on him. She's there innocently, but clandestinely Mm -hmm. uh, over something that has nothing to do with either of them. But at the same time, he realizes that now that she and he have gotten together, he has to go back to his legend. He can't afford to let her know that he's not Paul Lefebvre, he's Guillaume de Bailly. He has to break back out the the Paul Lefevre legend mm-hmm. so that the Syrians who start tailing him will still think that they're tailing a French teacher who just came back from Syria after going to Jordan for six months. Right. 
and he needs he tries doing that on his own for a little while and screws it up enough that he has to get the DGSE involved to help him do it. Mm-hmm. And that and the DGSA DGSE was willing to do that only up to a point. Mm-hmm. But at the point where they were no longer willing to play ball, that's when he decided he had to go to the Americans because he was still trying to make right the fact that now the Syrians suspected Nadia of being a spy because they were suspicious that Paul Lefebvre was a spy for the French, which he was. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the only way he could, the only way he could remedy this entire situation was to go to the Americans and try to get their help. And that's that meeting that he has, you know, with Mr. Chelouis, who is a, an American guy, you know, with a French uh, who can speak French. Mm-hmm. And then there's two American lugs sitting there, you know, in the room with him who don't. And he tests them by asking, <laughs> right. them, them, by asking them for a drink in French. And they go, oh, right. And yes, English. Um, you'd think that, you know, the CIA would have people in France who spoke French. But you'd be Absolutely. wrong, and that's and maybe they do, and maybe that's just the French, you know, throwing a dig at the CIA. <laughs> Probably. I mean, if you if you get right down to it, I mean, the fact that the fact that the you know the 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 head CIA guy that you see in the show is the guy who played the football coach from Friday Night Lights is pretty hilarious. Who that actor Brad Leland? Oh, the, the actor. See the American. Oh, yeah. yeah. Friday Night Lights. Oh, wow. <laughs> he was the he was Buddy. I don't. I didn't watch the show, but I I read this trivia that he was you know Coach Buddy something or other on uh, the show Friday Night Lights. Right. Uh, <laughs> I did not like his performance, by the way. Yeah, I thought he was over the top. Yeah, yeah, very. Mm. It, it, it was a weak point for me. I I think it's a you know I think that's a kind of a European. Uh, you know, dig at Americans, you know, that, that the American guy in the show is going to be this sort of overweight, you know, tough talking Texan type, you right. know, rootin' tootin' cowboy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> like, a Joe Don, like a Joe Don Briggs showing up in a James Bond movie. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I felt the same way. I don't know if you saw Squid Game at all, but yeah, their whole portrayal of Americans were like super stereotypical. Like, yeah. And it's kind of weird seeing it the other way. You know, you watch like American films that stereotype other cultures, but you watch like this French film or like a Korean show and, and they're just like, yeah, this is, this is Americans. It's a fat white guy. What do you want? (laughs) There will, there will be other Americans in later seasons that are not quite that. Okay. Um, But uh, I don't want to give too much away. Well, I mean, uh, I, I I had to step away for a second, but we did men- have we mentioned that Nadia turns him down? Yeah. No, we haven't talked about that yet. But that is, I, I think that's just a beautiful scene mm-hmm. um, between the two of them because it is as it is as sincere as you ever see Guillaume slash Paul mm-hmm. uh, behave in the entire season. I mean, there is nothing. There is nothing that he is more sincere about than trying to get Nadia to see that the only way that that she will not get harmed, that she will not get arrested and thrown into prison in Syria 
is to accept their offer of political asylum in France and, and turn. And the, you know, she just flat turns them down. Flat turns them flat, down. Flat. Flat. Yeah. <laughs> Which I shouldn't be surprised by. Like, I'm only surprised by it because it's the show. It's kind of like, as an audience member, like, I know or I feel like I know how these shows kind of going to go. But, like, to be perfectly honest, Nadia and DeBay don't have any fucking actual chemistry. Like, there's no... I mean, he can he can talk about how much he fucking loves her left and right all day, up and down, but I've never seen it. I really just haven't seen it is a, it is a slow burn between them. Um, but you know, I, I full disclosure cards on the table here. I crush on uh, Nadia's character on the show. Oh, I yeah. think she's just an amazingly beautiful woman, and I've I've had. Arab friends who have seen the show who say that um, her her Syrian accent is very well done um, for someone who I think her history is that she was born in Morocco and raised in France and went to university in, um, in Canada and the United States. Before she became an actress, she's like, you know, like a master's in political science. Or oh, something wow. That, that actress. Oh, the actual but actress. That's, the that's actress. incredible. Yeah. But, you know, if, if, if you get into the subtleties of Arabic with people who speak it and, or, or interpret it for a living, and I know somebody who's, who's done that, um, you know, it, part of the skill involved is knowing the difference between a Syrian and an, well, not an Iranian because they speak Farsi, but a Syrian and an Egyptian and a Moroccan and a Tunisian Mm -hmm. and an Algerian, Mm -hmm. you know, is knowing, is knowing those, those accents and those regional dialects and things. And, and he has said, she is, she's got a beautiful spoken Arabic voice uh, her pronunciation is beautiful, and and she nails a Syrian accent very well, which which is something that you know uh, uh, even a Frenchman would probably not pick up on. Yeah, but the fact that the show actually got into that much detail, like just oh, show, yeah. like yeah, especially we were talking about how many languages are on the show. It's it mm-hmm. yeah, I really like when people go into that much detail on something. Yeah, you'll you know, and even even in the French, you'll you'll hear a little bit of of accented um, mm-hmm. French if you if you pay attention. Like you know, what's the French word for yes? We mm-hmm. we oui, oui. right? We oui, we oui. yeah. But every once in a while, you will hear a character say "wah," like oh, that, well, and they mean the same thing. But it's kind of the difference between saying yes and yeah. Um, and it's, a, and it's sort of, it, it, it used to be a Parisian thing, but I'm told by people who speak French that it's, you know, it's pretty much nationwide now. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's little subtleties like that, you know, in, in the way that they speak and, and things like that, that you're never going to pick up unless you're a native speaker or, you know, reading a lot of trivia about the show, like I've done. Yeah. Have you ever, uh, uh have you watched the wire Joe? You know, people have told me that this show and The Wire have a lot in common, but do. I don't know. I mean, the the Wire is sort of like a you know like a urban gangster kind of a story, okay, right? But you have sort of like an American version of Gamora. 
Okay, but uh, yeah. I mean, but that's I mean, I was going in a different way, but uh, but you have, yes. I've I've seen a little bit of it, but I I don't know. I'm just oh, okay. I'm not interested. You know, that's I'm fine. That that's fine. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to sell you on it. I just okay. wanted to make this point. There's a um there's a little there's a little difference in the wire, which is something that I absolutely adore. Which is uh, when people say police and police, <laughs> and yeah. it's there. It's there in the show, and you know, police is just a job. Like we're all police. But sometimes in private moments, like people say, like, "Oh, oh, I didn't know you were police," yeah. and and what they're doing is they're they're just putting that little p on the police, yeah, uh, to emphasize that like you actually care about this shit, like uh, like it's a it's a it's a code word. Like there's police, which is just doing the job, and there's police. Which is, police is like we're a, trying a to make a difference in this world, right? Right. You're usually, really through our job. Is, usually, police and that pronunciation is like a vernacular. Yeah, so it's in, it's in like a black areas. vernacular. Yeah. Yeah. Usually, like you'll hear it like in rap songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a, that's that's an interesting point. I hadn't thought of that that because I I haven't watched The Wire, but. Yeah, there's things like that I'm sure that have gone way over my head because I'm I'm not a native French speaker, right? Or even a French speaker. So it, it, with the the one thing that I did pick up on linguistically though, and I I I may have mentioned this before, is that in the show you learn that there's a lot of different meanings to the question "sava," which means uh-huh. basically kind of how you doing or you doing okay. You know that 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 can be asked a number of different ways, and it and it means different things depending on how it's said. Mm-hmm. You'll notice that if you watch if in the show. I mean, they're asking each other all the time, "How you doing?" You know, Sava, and it it has a lot of different connotations. Yeah. So, like mechanically, though, or story wise, though, again, I shouldn't. I feel like I shouldn't have been surprised that Nadia says no to Paul because I don't think, you know, when we get to that point, you know, she really doesn't have that much invested. I mean, he's a fuck buddy. She's, she's really, (laughs) she's not as important to him as he thinks she is. Right. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. I, you know, it's, it's okay. not giving it's not giving anything away to say that this relationship um spans the arc of the entire show. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. It, well in you know, hot is, and cold and, and mostly and <laughs> mostly at a and mostly at a big distance. But um Right. This, but okay, this relationship but it remains at least, important in the at day. least from my perspective at this point, like Debay has misread the situation. Like, I think he honestly thought she would take his offer and yeah. she doesn't. And that surprises him. Mm-hmm. And De Bom- or Balmes is going to, you know, lay on him the idea that, like, you're not really in love with her. You're in love with the. With being. Someone being, else. With being. Right. Someone else, yeah. Right. 
And that's something that, you know, I as an audience member still need to carry. Um, But she's definitely gone a different way. At this point, it's where he starts playing some really um, bold moves. And I'm not sure. I want to stop here and say, like, is she worth it? I want to I want to ask that question, like, because I did give her the choice. She made the choice. How far down the rabbit hole, you know, how much do I need to sacrifice? How much do I need to dishonor her choice, her clearly stated choice to try to save her from her own decisions? I think not nearly as much as what he does any thoughts from you guys well if if you're in love with someone well for most people that like have experienced being in love with someone like that they're gonna go through great lengths to 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 protect them and and the fact he feels so responsible right well yeah there's that that he's responsible for her like demise yeah you know everything that's about to happen to her and you only get, you know, just that one little video clip of, of her, you know, that Nadim sends him at the very mm-hmm. end of the, of the last episode, you know, he sends her, well, it's actually not the end of the last episode. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's in uh, episode nine, but go for it. Go nine, for it. Okay. Yeah. That, you know, that she's obviously being held, you know, and not in a, you know, and not in a suite at the Hyatt either. Right. So now, so now but he's she got, went back, but she went back to Syria thinking that she was just being basically fired from uh, her job as the historical advisor to these negotiations. In other words, she probably went back there thinking that she wasn't going to get into trouble, that they were taking her out as a preventative measure, but that, you know, she wasn't going to face any punishment. That's probably what she thought. Mm-hmm. Right. Right, and it's Nadim that uh, is is manipulating the strings here, right. and that goes to like now Nadim has leverage on Debay, right? And then so that fact or that at least he thinks he does, thinks he does, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so now Debay uh, goes to the Americans, and again, like I don't know the way it plays out at the end. I mean, at the end of season one, DeBay is absolutely fucking compromised. At least, like, on the surface, everything I can see. And he, oh, absolutely, he yeah. didn't need to get there. He, he turned double for the Americans um, because <laughs> of what he did to Nadia and what he had to do or what he thought he had to do to rescue Nadia or to save Nadia from the fate that he knew she was going back to Syria to face. And, you know, he, he has a conversation with Balmez, I think when the, in the interrogation room where, you know, she gives him that lecture about how he just likes to live undercover and he can't Mm -hmm. stop living undercover. And he made all this up so that he could go back undercover and he just stops her in his in her tracks and says, "Did it ever occur to you that I was in love?" 
Here's my and question. And that kind of rocks her backwards because no, it hadn't occurred to her that she really, you know, that he really loved. And then her. she still doesn't believe it. And she she calls him disgusting. Like that. Yeah. Like, oh, you would even go to this level to try and convince me. Like he's at such a. I guess from their experiences working with him, that he's at such a level of, I guess, manipulation. She doesn't doesn't matter what he says. Oh. You know, he's she's not going to believe a word out of his mouth, and she'll like calculate some sort of explanation of how he's tricking her. But he, he but is, he has pour his heart on the on the table, <laughs> right? But at the same time, he is two or three moves ahead of her. Mm-hmm. You know, she she bills herself as this, you is know, he? as this psychologist. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. He is ahead of her because he is the only one in the office who seems to understand what she's really trying to do. He he was the first one who realized that. She wasn't just there to, you know, to to basically look after the mental health of the entire office, that she was there for a very specific purpose. And that very specific purpose was watching him. He was the first one to realize that he is he is at least one or two steps ahead of Balmez in terms of of thinking this stuff through. I think someone's seen season two because I don't (laughs) see it in season one. Okay. Um. My big question right now is like, I mean, if you're going to flip, like, why didn't you just flip for Syria? Like you had the offer. If, if, if my primary goal is to protect Nadia, Nadim is offering me a deal. Why do I reject that deal and then go make a, try to make another deal uh, with some other people? Both of them compromise me. Both of them compromise you, but at least, at least on the one hand, you're compromising yourself to an ally, not to an enemy. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's probably the simplest answer. And the other part of the answer okay, is but, that okay, I wouldn't trust. Simple, I wouldn't trust a... any promise made by Nadim farther than I could spit. I mean, Nadim was promising him when they met in the car. He was promising him, you know, she can live or she can die. You decide. Now, when you're talking about Syria, everybody dies. Nobody gets off. And I I think that Malachu is smart enough to know that. But if you go to the Americans, the Americans are actually going to try to do something. Now, they haven't really, other than, you know, other than, I guess, you know, extending the use of the Feliz set up for uh, the rescue operation for Cyclone. The Americans haven't really done anything as far as we know. They've given them a little bit of intelligence on where Nadia is by the end of the season. But that's all they've really done. So, you know, it's it's kind of left up in the air. Well, what are the Americans really going to do for Malatru as a result of his going double for him? Well, it turns out they're not going to do shit. <laughs> and he should have known that. Like, that's that's where I that's where I get a little bit off board the train for a second. Yeah. Well, um, you gotta hang. You gotta hang in there because you know, like like some other stuff that this is the second season is is a pickup on this story. Okay, but we can put a pin on that. Though, though that like for me, right now, by the end of season ten, from what I know as the debate character. 
like I don't think there's any reason for me to have not just taken Nadim's offer. Like what I what I've seen in this season gives me no reason to think that he should have like started triple crossing around. If if his uh Nadia's lady, you know, protecting his lady love is his primary concern. And I am deeply concerned about Balme's uh, evaluation of him as someone that maybe um, isn't as much in love with her as he is in love with, uh, you know, the game. That question I don't think is ever going to be fully resolved. Whether, you know, whether she had a point to say that he, he loves the, the life of legend more than he loves her. I don't think you're ever going to be able to say, even at the end of the entire show, that you have a full answer to that question. A full awesome. and satisfactory answer. Awesome. To that I'm down with that. I'm down with that. I'm down with that uh that mystery. But, but I uh, just I just think that you know it, it is Balmez, in my mind. Balmez and Malatru are birds of a feather. Mm-hmm. And you see that at the very end, I mean the last shot of season 10 is Malatru being celebrated in the kitchen with champagne and all the rest of the office gathered around, they're celebrating the successful rescue of Cyclone. And there he is, you know, getting his plaudits for running the operation that led to this. And Balmez is standing right at the entrance to the kitchen, staring separated, at him. staring yeah. at him. And he has yeah. literally just come back. He has just come back from turning double to the Americans and agreeing to work for them. Yeah. So that right. is, that is one hell of an ending. Yeah. That's uh, quite the it is. It voice. is. And I, uh, yeah, I was expecting a, a little more closure. I wasn't expecting the cliffhanger, but uh, I'm super happy with what I got. Um, it's more of a tee up than it is a you know a a, a resolution. It really I mean, it, you do get the resolution of of stories and the and the very very beginning of the next stories. You know what's going to happen with Marina in Iran? Now she's finally there. What happens next? You know what are they going to do with Cyclone? Do they? Can really they figure excited. out something to do with Cyclone, you know, yeah. or is Cyclone just washed up? I'm I'm really excited for the Iran story to take part because, you know, she's super deep in cover and them trying to get information in and out is going to be fun to watch. So I'm excited to see that. And remember, it's, you know, I mean, what, what Malatru was doing in Syria mm-hmm. um, and what cyclone was doing in algiers and what um marina who gets a code name i don't think she gave they gave her the code name yet but she gets a code name in in the next season what they're all doing is not really getting the information themselves so much as scoping out people who they think can be turned mm-hmm. you know that that's what malatru was doing in syria uh and and what she'll be doing in iran is is she's trying to insinuate herself into the right places where she thinks uh, she'll meet people that she might be able to recruit. I don't think there's, I mean, there's, there's not going to be any discussion here on the park bench rating. It's a five. 
<laughs> right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, oh, this is so fun. I'm only yeah. I'm only going to start. Joe, did you have anything you wanted to plug? No, not necessarily. Okay. I mean, I'm I'm just here. I'm I'm just a fan of the show. Yeah. Huge fan <laughs> of the show. I've I've probably watched it three times fully, uh-huh. fully through the series. And it it rewards multiple watchings, especially if you're not a French speaker, because, you know, after the second time through, you pretty much know the language. You don't have to look down at the subs. You can focus more on the actors' faces, you know, and the expressions they make while they're talking. Right. And I, you know, I console myself that French people will have that problem, too, with the seasons that take place a lot in other parts of the world. Right. Yeah. But I mean, like, I feel like, you know, I watch a lot of subtitled stuff and uh, at some point you get it pretty fast to where you can watch a little bit of the <laughs> expressions, but you're absolutely right. You know, you, you, you feel like you miss something versus like when you're watching something where you understand the language and you can like sit there and just glare at like every little micro expression they have. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, no. Thanks for giving us this recommendation. I, I I loved every minute of it, and you know I'm totally on board with Todd saying that this this is definitely a five park bench rating for us. Like everything, <laughs> and this is like hyper realistic. There was a couple quips we had, but it doesn't matter. It was just an exorbitant amount of trade craft that was pretty realistic. Love you, Joe. I'm out of here. Beautiful okay. guys. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. No, uh, I'll do it again we're, anytime we're... you want. No, we're oh, really absolutely. happy to have had you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go ahead and stop. I'm happy to have been had. <laughs> the preceding transmission sampled the song Enter the Party by Kevin McLeod and sound effects from freesound.org. Attributions and links are found at spieslikeus.net.